Have you heard about the 2021 Doxology and Theology Conference, April 22 to 24? Now you have. Register at biblicalworship.com. We are talking about everything from theological concepts like Trinitarian worship with Kevin DeYoung and H.B. Charles to practical concepts like songwriting with Andrew Peterson and Matt Boswell. It's a time of encouragement and refreshment. A conference like this is not for everybody, but we've planned it for people just like you. Join us April 22 to 24. Register before March 25 to receive a sweet box of conference worship swag from Southern Seminary. Register at biblicalworship.com. That's biblicalworship.com. Welcome to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right. I said the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. I'm your host, Matthew Westerholm, Associate Professor of Church Music and Worship at Southern Seminary and the Executive Director of the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you a clip by Mr. Jonathan Welch. For many years, Jonathan has served on the pastoral staff in worship and leadership training at Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina. In this clip, taken from our 2018 Doxology and Theology Conference, Jonathan discusses the ways that corporate worship shapes believers into citizens of Christ's kingdom. What kind of people are we forming in our worship? I praise God for all of the conversations that churches are having these days about worship, but if you were to ask me, what are the most important questions that church leaders are not asking? This question might be at the top of my list. What kind of people are we forming in our worship? If we're not careful, some of the people emerging from our worship gatherings might be described as anemic souls. Anemic souls, that's the phrase that Wendell Berry used almost 25 years ago to express his relative disappointment with the state of disciple-making in modern churches. So what kind of people are we forming in our worship. I'll be the first to admit, as a pastor with years of experience in worship ministry, I haven't done the best job myself of considering this type of question. You know, for all the conversations we have about worship, we think a lot about what's happening in here during the worship gathering. What I want to suggest today is that we might want to think and pray just as much about what's happening out there as in does our worship influence our people to live for Jesus the rest of the week? And to do this, I want to talk about a particular word, and that word is politics. I know that's not the kind of word that we're used to hearing at a worship conference. I'm just trying to liven it up here on a Friday night. What I'm talking about is the political dimension 
of Christian worship. And we only have time here for me to either tease you with this idea or confuse you with this idea, and we're about to find out which one it is. Either way, you'll want to listen closely. What I want to do in the next few minutes is this. First, broaden our understanding of politics in the Christian life. Second, demonstrate the political dimension of Christian worship for us. And then finally, I want to wrap up with an illustration that's going to hopefully help us connect all the dots. So first, let's broaden our understanding of politics in the Christian life. Politics can be defined simply as the art and science of associating people together. That's just a good broad definition for us. For many of us, we struggle to connect politics and worship because we're only thinking about our earthly citizenship. To be clear, I don't want us to lose our earthly citizenship. I'm just asking us to remember the priority of our heavenly one as Christ followers. So as Christians, politics is much broader than the politics of our local, state, or national community. We can talk about politics in a way that allows us to describe the Christian life and Christian worship as political. I'll show you this with three observations. Observation one, our God is a God of political concepts. Many of the ideas that we associate with politics originate with God himself. Concepts like authority and governance and rule and representation and citizenship, even justice, right standing, the law, pardon and guilt. These concepts are biblical. Observation two, the gospel is a political message. The gospel is a political message because it contains deeply political realities for each and every one of us. The phrase, Jesus is Lord, has always been and always will be a political statement. Jesus is described as the ruler of kings on earth, Revelation 1.5, and the only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, 1 Timothy 6.15. And we have the privilege of being his people. In Christ, we are declared righteous. We are no longer condemned and guilty under the law. In Christ, our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. Our dwelling place is with God, and our eternal dwelling place is described as a city. Again, I'm only just teasing out these ideas for us today to get our minds thinking in this direction. Observation three, our identity in Christ is a political identity. Our identity as the people of God is in Christ and united with Christ. It is a gospel identity, but this gospel identity is also a political identity because as we've already established, the gospel is a political message with political implications. And this identity in Christ is something that can be cultivated and nurtured, and we see this happening in gathered worship, which leads to my second goal for us here tonight demonstrating the political dimension of Christian worship. When Christ is exalted and the gospel is proclaimed through the liturgy of the church, the Holy Spirit of God faithfully nourishes and cultivates his people, renewing our identity in Christ. We behold the Lord and we repent of our sins and idolatries again and again, and God renews us as an act of his grace, transforming us more into his image. This is just one way of describing what is happening in us and around us in Christian worship. 
The spiritual formation in worship can be described as God, okay, get this, recentering his people in the gospel and reminding the church of who we are in Christ, which again is political. And this political dimension of the gospel gives us a renewed perspective both in gathered worship, but also in our everyday moments outside of the gathering. As Christ followers, as those who take on the very name of Jesus, the political aspects of the gospel help us keep first things first. If the gospel is a matter of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15, then so are the responsibilities of our heavenly citizenship in Christ. In the words of Colossians 1, Jesus holds first place in everything. So to use another politically charged word, what's at stake is a matter of allegiance for us and for our people. But sometimes we can be tempted to believe this false dichotomy that in Christian worship, what happens in here doesn't have much relationship to what happens out there. The political aspects of Christian worship help us to see the connection between Sunday and every day. What we profess in gathered worship must connect with how we live the rest of the week. For God does not intend for us to be fragmented people. As we are reminded in Deuteronomy and the Gospels, we are to love the Lord our God with what? With all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. In all our time, with everything, the lordship of Jesus Christ cannot be compartmentalized to certain sectors of life. And political vocabulary can stir us to greater worship of Jesus our King and greater participation in his kingdom. With the songs that we sing, the sermons that we preach, and the liturgies that we create in our churches, we are undoubtedly leading God's people in worshiping the true and living God. But let us also be aware of our God-given opportunity to cultivate Christian citizenship in our people that we may bring great glory to God through the ways that Christian citizens represent Christ in our communities. So what does all this look like practically in our worship gatherings? All worship elements and forms provide opportunities to cultivate this political identity in Christ. We've already mentioned many examples in the talks of this conference, but here's a few quick ideas just in bullet point form. The liturgical calendar, things like the annual worship celebrations of Christmas and Easter, those things are communicating a political point for us, that the King of kings and Lord of lords is the center of our time and thus the center of our lives. When we pray, we are approaching a sovereign God in the name of his beloved son, our king. Baptism is a public declaration that we identify by grace and through faith with the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is given to the body of Christ, the church, and it's an image of us and the image of us taking it together sends a political message that our unity in Christ as a body stands in sharp contrast to our society's idolatrous emphasis on the individual self. Worshipful postures even 
such as raising our hands or bowing or kneeling, they carry great political significance as such actions function as bodily statements of our allegiance and loyalty to God. And congregational song allows us as citizens of heaven a wonderful opportunity to express with great joy our faithful and enthusiastic participation in God's kingdom. How is your liturgy preparing your church for public life in the world? See, our ability to make disciples in our communities hinges in part on how effectively we proclaim the church's political identity in Christ in our gatherings. Imagine the transformative power unleashed on our communities by the Spirit of God when God's people step forward with a renewed confidence in their Christian citizenship. Let this sink in. Christian worship cultivates Christian citizens. Christian worship cultivates Christian citizens. The things we do and say in worship affect the decisions of Christian citizenship in all of life. And at this point, I think an illustration can help us connect all these dots. Richard Mao has this idea that one of the greatest tools for developing healthy citizens is the family meal. Think about it. Children who experience family meals gain an invaluable experience. They interact with others who are not like them, whether that's in personality type or temperament or age or whatever. And they learn how to communicate in healthy ways, listening, speaking in turn, considering others, following instructions. We could go on and on with this list. Now, I'm not saying this is every home, and I'm not saying this is every meal. My kids at home are seven, five, two, and four months old. So things can get pretty lively around our dinner table. But the family meal is a training ground for me to prepare my children to be citizens of society. In the same way, now don't miss this, gathered worship is a family meal for the church. Just like a family gathers so regularly for a meal, every time our churches gather to worship, our heavenly Father is doing the deep work of cultivating our heavenly citizenship in Christ. And then his children are sent out into the world. And just as I will one day send out my children as citizens, the church is sending out Christian citizens every single week to carry the name of Jesus to a lost and dying world in desperate need of a savior. That's the political dimension of Christian worship. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever part you play in the body here tonight, whether you're a pastor, a liturgical architect, a joyful worshiper, the next time you prepare for gathered worship, let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to guide us into increased faithfulness to Jesus our King and increased fruitfulness for His glory as we ask ourselves this question, what kind of people are we forming in our worship? That 
is a hard place to stop. But if you'd like to hear the rest of this message from Jonathan Welch entitled Singing Our Christian Citizenship, go to our website, biblicalworship.com, and click podcast. Click around and find the show notes for season one, episode 13, and we are happy to share with you the entire thing. That is what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology podcast. Our show is produced by Evan Jarms and Caleb Sherwood, and the music is by our good friends at Murphy DX. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westerholm reminding you that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. Peace be with you.